0: happen that are I think most of the, well, really probably most of the stuff that happens politically is not really political. There's other things. It's spiritual. It's a lot of different stuff going on. I, I've been talking about this, that one of the things that, I, that um, maybe about a month and a half ago I said this, that one of the strongest things that uh, President Trump did while he was in office was he, um, he really went to war against human trafficking and all the stuff that goes along with that. Uh, one of the biggest things that, that we know that is happening in our country right now is Hollywood and Washington, D.C. are extremely caught up in um, human trafficking, sex trafficking, pedophilia. This is, a, this is a major push that's been happening for quite a long time. And, and this is one of the reasons when, when Trump said that he was going to drain the swamp, this is actually one of the major reasons he used that terminology. Draining the swamp was because of the spiritual evil and the stuff that's going on, not just the uh, political stuff that that should have been changed uh, decades ago. But, but this this um, uh, this this sex trafficking, I think just a just a evil disease that our country has right now. That it's so prolific, so strong through our old country. And so one of the things that President Trump did is he instituted. Uh, something called Operation T- Talon. And Operation Talon was a, um, a uh, program through the State Department working with law enforcement with ICE that um, any, any, um, any illegal immigrant in the United States that had been convicted as a sex offender, this is after the conviction uh, in our court system, they get convicted as a sex offender, they were immediately supposed to be deported. Because of the the sex offender thing, well th- this because of our weird crazy, irrational stuff that's going on with with um, the immigrant discussions and and the wall and um, the the illegality of it, and then the um, just all of the like the amnesty that's going across all this stuff, this one has gotten put in there. it's gotten mixed up in there, but one of the things that uh, Biden did this last week um, a week and a half ago was he did away with Operation Talon. So in other words, all convicted sex offenders that are illegal immigrants do not get deported. They stay in the country. And a lot of times they don't, even though they have been convicted, they don't even serve jail time. And and uh, when they do, it's very minimal jail time. So, So here's the question that I have, because I, this is couched as a political issue, but I don't believe it's a political issue. I believe this is the, the spiritual thing that's going on right now. Why this is so strong in our country, why this is so strong. Um, I, I still think that, w- that one of, there was many, but one of the reasons that they were so adamant to get rid of Trump and have so much vitriol against Trump, specifically from Hollywood, is because he has, he has intentionally attacked the, um, the, the sex trafficking issues going on in our country. This is this is a this is a spiritual disease that is consuming our leadership of our country. This is and why why in an irrational political way what what does it benefit anybody in the United States to make sure that we keep the convicted sex offenders in our country? That's a spiritual thing that's going on. That's a spiritual blindness. It seems to be happening, and and then there's there's all these people that are that their issues are not handling this stuff properly, and so again, this is why I say we've got to keep praying. Our our focus as a country, we've got to keep praying for justice and for truth, that God's justice will reign, and that that He will cause truth to rise to the surface, and that things will be exposed, that people will be exposed, that that um, that, that corruption will be exposed. We've we've got to pray for that. There's 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 only so much you can do when it comes to Washington and the national level, but your prayers are more powerful than just about anything you can anything else you can do. Uh, be praying for this kind of stuff. So I did also want to mention, <clears throat> I'm not sure why that's popping. I don't think it's me. I'm electric. Um, I did want to mention yesterday we had our, our soup lunch outreach here. We A couple of things happened that were interesting kind of outside of our uh, process and planning and some of that. We had amazing amounts of soup. We had gallons and gallons and gallons of soup. We we literally we we planned on about four to five hundred people, and uh, we could easily have fed more than five hundred with all the soup that we had here. So that part was good. The uh, four to five hundred people thing, that window, we didn't quite get there. <clears throat> I think we had. Um, around um, this is a round number. Two people that showed up, and so the that part was not successful. Uh, we had had it advertised with all this stuff, and so we don't know. We're, I mean, this is the first time we did it exact like this, so it's a learning experience. So what we did is we had a bunch of to-go stuff because we were planning on making this. You can either eat here, you can to-go, take it to-go, or whatever. And so <clears throat> we took. Um, lots and lots of soup and we put it in in all the to-go things that we had and we put them in crates and uh, we took them all over the city and took them to um, homeless people took them to um, construction sites took them just about anywhere you can imagine we took soup uh, and with our little card that we had printed up about the church and so who knows they didn't come to us we went to them that'll learn them and so, uh, so it still was really successful. And here's one of the cool things that happened that we didn't, we hadn't anticipated. I think maybe I'm, rubbing that there. Uh, that we hadn't anticipated was our Russian church, Hispanic church, and um Gate here. This this was an all three church outreach, right? So there was d- um, different people from each of the three churches here, and it really gave us an opportunity to connect and talk to each other and and get to know each other. And then <clears throat> when we went out and took the stuff, different groups of people connected. So there would be a um, couple people from the Hispanic church and a couple people from the Russian church in one uh, group. And then and there was about five or six, maybe more than that, groups that were going out. And then th- from Vyregate and then the Russian church. and So that's, that turned out really well. We really got to know each other quite a bit, got to, to sit and talk. The Hispanic church and the Russian church had never really interacted together. And so this was a good opportunity to do that too. So it was it was a successful event, but not like we thought it was going to be. Um, like I said, there was two people that showed up, and and um, uh, one of them was a homeless guy that really interacted. And it was interesting. So <clears throat> I'll just leave it at that. So so here here's where we've been heading with all of this, and I want to want us to keep going on this this thought process the are taking the responsibility for the kingdom of god guys we do not know what our, the future of our country is we don't know where we're headed we know some of the things if if we take the trajectory that we are on right now that that started with the uh, corruption of the election started with all of that really it started this time last year with the COVID and the control and the and um <clears throat> the uh, I, I do think it's interesting the government governor of south dakota i've talked about her a few times her amazing christian woman great leader she never did anything in the entire state of South Dakota. She didn't mask, distance, uh, quarantine. She did nothing there. And she made a speech this week, and she was talking about how that um, COVID did not uh, attack and destroy much of our economy and, and small business. It was the government that did that. that COVID did not do that. And and that's a little thing. It's just a semantical thing that irritates me when I hear people say, well, you know, COVID, because of COVID. No, not because of COVID, but because of the decisions the government made um, that that did this. They did a study this last week, uh, two weeks ago. Florida and California have almost identical uh, numbers when it comes to how many people got COVID, how many people died from COVID, those kind of things. And the difference was Florida was pretty much wide open from the very beginning. And uh, California was shut down tighter than um, China. And so this, this is, we should, we should pay attention to these things, okay? Now, with that, we don't know what direction the kingdom of God is going. I mean, the um, well, the kingdom of God in a general sense, but I'm saying specifically the church, church in America, what's happening with the church in America, what's our future, what are we going to look like two years from now, five years from now? What are we going to look like at the end of, of uh, this administration the rights of the church, the rights of the church are already being taken away. A lot of the stuff that, that uh, President Trump did that were very pro-church, which by the way had not happened, uh, some of this stuff had been promised and talked about, but it never happened and, and Trump did some of this stuff, like the uh, Johnson bill and some of that kind of thing. So we don't know where the church is going. So guys, here's, here's the thing, I think w- the church has got to be getting mentally, spiritually ready and here's what we're really doing. We're not getting ready for a major transition in the church. I had a guy come and ask me a couple weeks ago, um, doesn't go to church here, but he was, he was asking me what, I, what did I think the direction of the church was going, stuff like that, and ministry and all this kind of stuff, and, and specifically said, as a pastor, what do you think your responsibility is? And I, and I told him, I said, I think what's going to happen, what should happen, what I hope happens is that the church actually gets back to what the New Testament looked like more than what we have created now. I'll give you just a simple example with um, Aaron sitting here. So Aaron is a businessman that God just began to stir on his heart and and call him. And then finally, through a, through a process, she went to Turkey and God said, this is where you're supposed to be, all of this kind of stuff. That's the biblical model much more than this, than this model that we have today where you go to Bible school and then you leave Bible school and you go to the mission field. That's not that's not the biblical model. And from my experience and seeing this in different ways and for 30 years in all kinds of mission fields, usually it's the it's the it's the guys like Aaron that are that are the more successful in the mission field. It's not the the green recruits made out of uh, Bible school, we used to have a rule in the Assemblies of God in our fellowship that you had to, to be a lead pastor for two years before you could go to the mission field. Years ago, I used to think, well, that's dumb. Just send them straight to the mission field. And then after having pastored for 30 years, I realized that wasn't dumb. These, these, these people need to know how to do certain things. They need certain leadership. They need to know how to pastor in this kind of stuff. The model that I think the church is going back to and should be getting back to is guys we're the ministers of the kingdom we are not guys like me that are that are occupational ministers are paid professionals to do ministry stuff we've 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 taken this model for so long it's become extremely unhealthy for the church my responsibility according to scripture is to train you to do the work of the ministry that is straight out of, of galatians i am to train you to do the work of the ministry that's my job as a pastor. It's not my job is not to do the ministry as the pastor. As a Christian, that's my job, but not as the pastor. Because I've had people say this before. Well, you're you know, you're supposed to do that, you're the pastor. It doesn't no. No, you're wrong. That's not what the Bible says. No, we've done this so long. Why? Why have we done this so long? Because it's way more comfortable to have a handful of people making all the decisions and doing all of the stuff rather than the way it had looked like in the New Testament looked like for many centuries. When the, and, and, and specifically in areas where the church is healthy and growing and doing things, it's because people are doing the work of the ministry. Not a handful of, of ministers setting a spiritual culture where we, we view instead of uh, engage. We spectate instead of actually participate. As as we're doing this, we've got to take the responsibility for the kingdom. So here's the question: How do I do that? How do I? We've got all these these group people in the church that are starting all these different life groups, and uh, all, all kinds of stuff that's going on. You know, I threw this out in, in second service. I didn't mention this last week in first service, but my goodness, that's really here. I'll I'll just switch. You want me to do that? Okay. Um. will just say that. Um, so we've um, the this idea that we're all going to do this. We started what was back in November. We said, okay, when we get to the point where we have three thousand dollars in commitment for the building, that we'll start. And uh, quickly got up into the four thousand four thousand five hundred range of commitments to the building. So we're moving forward this January, our first month of actually having all the commitments come in and people giving to the building. We had 6,200 given to the building. That—that's not—I don't—I didn't give 6,200. That's not—that's us. That's the body saying we're, we can do this, guys. It's the same way with anything else. If you'll just make a decision, I'm going to do this, whatever it is, however you're going to minister, whatever you're going to do, I'm going to do this. I'm going to minister. You figure out how your personality is unique to you, how you're going to minister to people is unique to me, I, to you. I, I I've found this kind of interesting. You know, I've, I was picking on one of our life groups here as a knitting life group. And I've been picking on that. Um, and, and I want to apologize from the bottom of my heart for picking on that. Uh, my wife got involved with this. She's never been a knitting individual. And she got involved with this, and she made herself a scarf. And now she's making me one. And they pray and they talk while they're doing it. It's not just let's get together and knit. There's, it's a discipleship group, it's a, it's a connection thing. Well, we've got that stuff going on all over our church. People do, are meet, having somewhere they just invite their neighbors to their house and, and have coffee with their neighbors and just get to know them and talk to them, look for ways to minister. There's always going to be an opportunity for you to minister. But, but somewhere along the way, you just have to make the decision how do I do this? Can I do this? The first, the first hurdle is can you do this? Yes. The how becomes a little more unique to you, um, but that's part of the reason that we have uh, Allison running our, our life groups is because she helps you do that. She's got a list of questions that can help you set up and, and, and get, get involved And in what are some things that you need to know, what kind of, how can the church help you do this, um, do you need our help. You know, There's all kinds of stuff that goes along with this. Um, but the first thing is can you, yes. The second how, we, we, you can do it, we can help you figure it out. The, the 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 there has to be that moment when you make the decision though, and so Colossians chapter four, I want to I show you some. I, th- I just think some interesting things. We we really get to this. Th- this has always been kind of one of my uh, pet peeves with the church, and um, this this started for me. I I've mentioned this recently, so I think I'm going to probably in the next few weeks I'm going to give um, as part of this kind of thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you how I began to witness to somebody the very first time. It was a very long process. Uh, and it it did it took months and months and months before i witnessed to the first person and then quite a few more months before i actually was successful in witnessing and so um the idea is you just have to make a decision somewhere along the way i'm going to show you some of these people here that that are are that are doing ministry and we're going to break them down a little bit and see who they are in colossians chapter 4 verse 7 Tychicus We'll give you a full report about, what I, about how I'm getting along. This is Paul writing from prison. Last part of his life, he's writing from prison, okay? He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves me in the Lord's work. Now, uh, here's, here's something you've got to know right up front. These people were not trained in ministry like we would say happens today. This is one of the things somebody was asking me, I think we were talking about this at The Journey um, uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago. When we had that, but we're talking about how we operate as a fellowship and the assemblies of God and some of those kind of things. And had somebody else asked me some very similar questions. So here's the thing. One of the interesting things about our fellowship uh, being a Pentecostal fellowship that started in the early 1900s, 1905 and six is kind of when the roots started. Then by 1916, we had we had, had what we now call the Assemblies of God. Well, here's the interesting thing about this, is that we had no education requirements to be a minister. Today, our education requirements are very minuscule in comparison to other places. A lot of other places you have to have what's called a Masters of Divinity before you can be the pastor of a church or a chaplain or things like that. And I don't disagree with that. But I do think that there was something that happened in the beginning of our Pentecostal movement because our fellowship or other denominations that are Pentecostal denominations they had very similar things. You didn't have to have a big education. Why? Because they believed that you could open the Bible, let the Holy Spirit speak to you, and be taught by the Holy Spirit and through connection with other people and actual experience of ministry. And 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 here's the thing, in case you're wondering how that went. Um, we, we have been, for a long time now, we have been uh, overseas, the largest denomination, we're not really denomination fellowship, largest fellowship denomination overseas. And for about 30 years, one of the continuous fastest growing, and in the last 10 years, one of the only growing groups. You know, most denominations are heading backwards. They're not growing. And we're one of the only ones that has a positive number in growth. And and we started out with basically a bunch of uneducated people saying, we're going to do this. All of these people we're going to look at in this list, they're not educated, okay? Except Paul, um, and Paul was educated in, in ministry concept, but it was more of Pharisee-Sadducee mentality. He was a Pharisee, and, and it wasn't Christianity. He basically started over when it came to Christianity. They gave him the background of the Old Testament, but he started over in saying Jesus is the Messiah. So you've got the first guy, um, Verse 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am also sending Onesimus. Onesimus, part of the ministry and part of the work, um, he 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 had uh, was a slave that had been used in ministry, that that Paul was using him in this. It's These are not people that we would say, oh, they got it all going and they can do this. Look at the group that is being put together with this. I am sending, I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. Now, he's saying this um, by one of your own people. That means he came from this area. He came from this people group. But here's another thing. We're going to see this here quickly. Um, These these are the uh, Jewish people that are involved. There's only a small group of the Jewish people that are involved uh, with this. Um, and he's one of them. He said, he and Antiochus will tell you everything that's happening here. here. Aristicus, who is in prison with me, that's one of his helpers, a co-prisoner. This, why, why am I saying this? Because, guys, I think we have this mentality. I know we do. I've just sit, talked to too many people. I've had so many people over the years say a form of this sentence. It's It's a hundred different ways, but it's basically this. To me, Pastor, I can't, do, uh, this, I can't do ministry like you're doing. You know, I don't have all the degrees. I don't have all the other stuff. Somebody was just sitting in my office this week that, um, that, that doesn't go to church here. And they, were, they said behind me in my wall was all my degrees. And they said, well, you've got a lot of degrees. And um, m- normally what people think about that is I went to school, got all these degrees, and then I went, went into ministry. That's not how it happened for me. I dropped out of Bible school to be a youth pastor. Now, the reason was I was offered this position as a youth pastor, but it it, it really wasn 't like a huge decision. I mean, I knew God was speaking to this, but i hadn't i wasn 't doing well in school. It made the decision much easier when i 'm failing out, and i don 't know for sure if i 'm going to be able to come back i didn 't tell the church that. They, were, they just wanted a youth pastor. I was like, I'm your guy. <clears throat> um, I had never taken a youth ministry class before. I didn't know anything about youth ministry. And all the other classes, I pretty much failed those. But I was your guy. So <clears throat> so I got all this education. I went to be a minister? No, I went, I went to be a youth pastor at 20 years old. And I just began to seek God. And And I was scared to death. I remember stepping into to the church the very first time. This was a fairly large church, and they were doing all this expansion and all stuff. I didn't realize really what they had hired me for was to... Um, uh, hang sheet rock, and then I got to youth minister on the side. Nobody told me that. but <clears throat> So I step into this church, and I'm overwhelmed. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I've never been a youth pastor. I'd even, I only had one youth pastor, and he was kind of a part-time guy when I was a teenager. I didn't know anything. And so I just began to get on my face before God, and I made a commitment to God. I'd get up to the church early in the morning before anybody got there, partly because that was when I was told to be there. And, and I, would, I would spend the first hour to two hours just praying and worshiping. Just, just really seeking God. And they had a piano there. I could barely play the piano. I'd just begun to process that. And um, <clears throat> and I'd sit down at the piano, and I'd just kind of play my two or three chords and just sing and worship. And I'd do that every day for a couple hours. Why? Because I had no idea what else to do. I had no idea. I didn't, I hadn't, what was I supposed to be studying? I don't know. I knew the Bible was kind of the book I should be using. But that's about it. That's all I knew. And interestingly, God set a pattern for me that to this day is still my go-to. I don't assume I know how to do this. After 30 years, you pick up things, right? You learn something. But I still know that at the end of the day, if I don't say, God, I need you to do this, not my will but yours. If I don't start there with every mentality, everything I'm doing, every, if I don't start there, I'm already messed up. Because that's what, that's what these guys were doing, they weren't trained, they were people that just loved Jesus and wanted to do stuff. It says Aristicus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. That's that's an interesting person to pop up here. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. This is one of the most interesting little sentences, I think, in the New Testament. Who was Mark Barnabas's cousin? Who who was he in the scripture? Saul. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, Saul became Paul. Barnabas was the first guy that took um, Paul, the new Paul, under his wing and said, guys, trust him. You've got to trust him. Remember, he went to the church and the church is saying, well, this guy's been putting us all in prison and killing us. How are we supposed to trust this guy? And Barnabas said, you've got to trust me. I trust him. God has saved his soul. God has called him. He's serving Jesus now. Barnabas, what was Barnabas' nickname? Son of reconciliation. He was a reconciler, and he said, guys, just trust me. Let's, let's trust this Paul, and let's let him do uh, big things for Jesus, okay? Nobody trusted him. Nobody knew he was going to turn out to be the man. Nobody knew he was going to turn out to write two-thirds of the New Testament, do the, the, set the groundwork for all missional concepts ever in the future. Nobody knew that. Barnabas just said, we got to trust this guy. So a couple years later, um, Barnabas says, hey, Paul, let's bring my cousin along, Mark, John Mark, and, um, <clears throat> and let's let him go on some of these journeys, journeys with us, uh, these missional trips and things. And uh, Paul says, okay, so they, they do this, and then all of a sudden, Mark, somewhere along the way, Mark um, doesn't, is not having fun anymore. He's a, he's a young kid. Okay, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm saying like late teens, early 20s. And he's not having fun anymore. And Paul says, and he wants to go back to his mama. That's the story. That literally is what happened. So uh, Paul, who was not a son of reconciliation, specifically early in his ministry years, he said, get rid of this Mark guy. He's a waste of our time and energy. Get rid of him. And, and Barnabas says no, and not because he was his cousin, but because Barnabas was doing for Mark the same thing he had done for Paul. Paul, let, let's give Mark a break. Let's trust him. And you know he had conversations with Paul. Paul, remember when nobody trusted you? Let's, let's trust Mark and let's, let's him because Mark wanted to come back. And uh, Paul said, no, he, he's no good for us. He's just going to run away again. He's a wimp. He can't handle it, that kind of thing. Barnabas and Paul split over this, right? Um, We don't really hear of Barnabas anymore after this. But now we see 20-something years later, we see Paul saying, remember what I told you, Um, Mark. uh, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Somewhere between then and, and this moment, between Barnabas and him splitting, because Mark Paul wouldn't make him Mark welcome now he's saying everybody else make Mark welcome somewhere there was some reconciliation and Paul understood sometimes people um stumble along the way and and fall out of what ministry is and serving Jesus and some of that kind of stuff we don't know what Mark's uh, relationship with Jesus did but he did fall away from the calling and the the putting his hands to the plow mentality and so Here's another thing. If you say, well, I'm disqualified because I've made too many mistakes. I can't do this. I've, I tried once, and I failed. I, I talked to a guy about eight or nine months ago that had been a children's pastor years ago and, um, and was called to ministry on stuff and had completely felt disqualified since then because he had ran away and, from the ministry and just went and got a job is the way he said it. And, and he, he, couldn't, he felt like he couldn't do anything else in the church since then and disqualified him. No. Paul is very specific about Mark here. As welcome him because he's he's doing the work of the ministry. Somewhere along the way, he dropped back and and did something he shouldn't or left or whatever, but he's doing the work of the ministry, so embrace him as regardless of who you are. And and this also works on the other side. Be careful not to to continue to hold people accountable for past mistakes when they really want to do something for God and, and get involved. I've been guilty of that sometimes, where, you know, somebody hangs you out to dry a handful of times, and after a while, you're just like, nope, not doing that anymore. I've experienced that many times as a pastor. Somebody tells you they're going to do this, they're going to get involved, they're going to be engaged, they're going to, and then they get, something comes up, and then two years later, they're not doing anything, okay? But God's given me many chances, my responsibility is to give them more chances, God gave Paul a chance. His responsibility was to give Mark a chance. As you, you're not, don't disqualify yourself when the Lord does not disqualify you. Do the work of the ministry. Do the stuff that's happening. So Jesus, the one we call justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my coworkers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Now, the reason he says these are the only Jewish group, the only Jewish people, is because this is a fairly small group. But there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of things. He continues on, Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He, he always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. Epaphras has taken the responsibility to pray for the believers in another area. We just had the example this morning with Aaron and his family. As they're going overseas, we've got to pray for them. We need to be in Epaphras. That's one of our responsibilities, to pray for the ministry that's going to be going on over there, to pray that God is going to be doing something through them. He says, I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings and so does Demas. We know Luke. Luke wrote Luke and he also wrote Acts. He traveled with Paul the entire time. He was with Paul through all of the stuff. He, he He watched the Barnabas and Paul thing happen. He recorded it. Don't you think there was somewhere along the way where he also got to see when Mark was reconciled with Paul and Paul began to use him in ministry? And Luke is a doctor, so we have prisoners and doctors. We have have, um, also men and also women. We're going to see that here in just a second. So he says, Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings and so does Demas. We see Demas mentioned a different uh, time. Um, Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to... Nympha and the church that meets in her house. Now, there's been a lot of debate over this little sentence. You guys know around here, we strongly believe uh, that um, inequality in ministry, women can be in ministry just like men can be in ministry and all this kind of stuff. This is one of the sentences that I use that kind of convinced me way back in the day. Um, Well, actually, my grandmother was a pastor. She convinced me by uh, telling me that that was the way it was going to be. So, but it 's interesting, it says the church that meets in her house i i 've read stuff, and I listened to this in a, in a seminary I went to where they said that doesn 't mean she was the pastor, she just had opened her house. Okay, then let me ask you a just a just a normal question that should arise if that was the case. Paul is going down through this whole list of people and all these people that are ministering and doing all kinds of stuff. When he gets to her and he says, the church that meets in your house, don't you think it would have been expected for him to mention the pastor's name if it wasn't her? Think about what I'm saying. He could have said the church that meets in her because she's the pastor, She's the one pastoring these people. So now we have men and women doing all of this kind of stuff. Everybody is involved in ministry. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. This is a cool sentence here because Paul knows what it is. We don't know what it is. Paul knows. He had had a discussion with him, and maybe this guy was hesitant, or maybe he wasn't sure about um, his qualifications, or whether it was a doable ministry or whatever, or maybe, he was, maybe Paul had heard he was just getting um, um, lazy or something. We don't know what the deal is, but Paul knows what the ministry is. He knows who this guy is, and he knows the, the, the importance of saying this sentence. So he says to him, be sure to carry out the ministry that Lord gave you. Guys, this, this, is, the, this is the sentence I want to put to all of us. Be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. He's given you ministry. What is it? Do it. He's given you people to talk to and to pray with. Do it. Don't, don't back away from this kind of stuff. When God puts your neighbor on your heart, pray for them. Look for opportunities to witness to them. That's the ministry God's given you. Do it. Your coworkers, that's the ministry God's given you. Do it. Do this. Carry out the ministry that God has given you. And I'm going to get back to that. Here's my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. Now let's jump down to Philemon, verse 1. This letter's from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and for and from our brother T- uh, Timothy. He's writing this guy because he had a runaway slave. Philemon had a runaway slave. And um, and I'm sorry, I got it backwards, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, and, and he was writing him to make sure that the slave had come to Paul, and so Paul was sending him back, and he was saying, uh, you need to um, you need to show grace to him, okay? But but look at this. He says he's writing this later, He says I'm writing to you, Philemon, our beloved coworker. Now Philemon's just a business guy. Philemon owned a slave, and and Paul was sending this slave back to him, and he wanted him to have grace and mercy with this. I've had some people say that that church was trying to justify slavery. No, it wasn't. But slavery was a reality, and Paul was saying. This is how you treat slaves, and he was also telling the slave, go back because there, there is an obligation that you have there. This isn't a pro-slave thing. This is a, your attitude toward the people in authority over you. This is the attitude of people that are in authority over others, how we're supposed to interact and all this other kind of stuff. So Philemon is, all, uh, Philemon is also doing ministry, and he says, to our sister, Thea, Epiph- uh, and to our f- uh, fellow soldier, Archippus. We just read this. Archippus, carry out the ministry that God gave you. Now we see later in this letter, where um, and the next letter, where Paul is writing about a, a total different subject and he just mentions Archippus in the process because he's connected with Fleeman, who's connected with Onesimus. And he says about Archippus, Archippus, our fellow soldier. So somewhere, Archippus is doing the work that God called him to do. He's carrying out the ministry, and Paul is recognizing this, and he's calling Archippus a fellow soldier in this ministry thing. Guys, I want to be that person. I want to be that fellow soldier in the kingdom of God. God, use me. You do the things that you want with me. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm covered with the blood of Jesus, and I'm serving him. Jesus, what do you have for me? So he finishes it up, and he says, And to the church that meets in your house... Fleman um, also has a church meeting in his house. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. As I wrote three things down for us here. The first, you are called by God. You are called by God, and and you are called to be a witness. Mark 16, 15, um, Luke 24, Matthew. They're, they're, you are called to be a witness. I still hear of ministers all the time that, that have this mentality that only some people are called to be a witness. Reject that, guys. That's not truth. Reject that. You are called to be a witness. You are called by God. I believe Jeremiah 1.5 is a call for all of us. Before you were born, while you're still in the womb, I knew you and I separated you, or, I, or I, I sanctified you. I separated you to be a voice of prophecy to the nations. It's you, that's me, that's every one of us. You're supposed to be a witness. The second thing is just do the ministry. You know, you're, you're already called. Assume that one. Don't Don't struggle with that. You are called. Struggle with the okay. How? Not if, but how. Just do the ministry. Do what God has put on your heart. What do you, What do you like to engage in? What's something for you that that you're that so one of the life groups that we have around here are a bunch of uh, women that go hiking, and then they talk and they pray together and they do Bible study or I mean, you know that kind of discipling kind of thing. And then they invite their friends to come along, and it becomes outreach and all this other kind of stuff. That's a, that's a life group. Why? Because some of the ladies like to hike. That's the reason. Jesus is the focus, but that's the reason. So, so you can do the same thing. You say, well, I don't like to hike. Then pick, then pick yours. And then the third thing, God will give you what it takes. He will empower you to accomplish the task. He will give you the discernment, the wisdom, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that you need. He's going to do this. He's going to make sure that you have people around you that can help. That's part of what the church body is for. You can do this. So pray, God, what do you want me doing? Specifically, you're not doing anything. you're not doing anything, come on. You've got to, you got, isn't in there just kind of intuitively in your spirit, i got to do something? I'm not just here just to take air from other people, I don't know how that works, but do something. Do do the work of the ministry. There's somebody that needs you. Somebody that needs you to visit them or pray for them. Talk to them. Do a Bible study. Just have coffee together. Do something. Minister to people. So stand with me if you would. <clears throat> do the ministry that God gave you. Carry it out. Carry out what he's told you to do. So I want to pray for us, and and here's here's where I would like to to, uh, springboard into this prayer is to say, let's start with, God, what are you speaking to me? And if you say, well, I don't know if God is speaking to you, um, the answer is yes, he is. You're just not listening, or you haven't learned to listen, or you need to process what listening is. Or here's one that has happened to me the most is... Yes, I'm hearing you, God, but if I make a bunch of noise, maybe I can drown that out. Right? We know what that feels like. God's putting something on our heart. I've been talking the last two weeks before this, talking about forgiveness. I've learned over the years, if you just keep talking loud and fast, you can move past the conviction of forgiveness until it comes again. And then you've got to talk loud and fast for a long time. You know what I'm saying. We do this as Christians. We, we learn to not listen to the Lord. We learn to push it aside. We learn to whatever. But, but guys, let's not do that. Then one day you're packing your four boys up and taking them to Turkey. Can you imagine that? Taking four kids to Turkey? Plus that second oldest one. He looks like the problem kid. Is he, it's, I knew it. I could tell. Not problem. Let's not use the word problem. The challenging. I have one of those children. He's 25, and sometimes I still like, I need to whip that boy. I just need to whip him. Take four kids to Turkey. Guys, maybe that's not where God's calling you. Okay, that's cool. But God is calling you. Let's start there. Let's pray about that. God, we just submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to you. Jesus, you're the amazing king of everything, you're the king of the universe. God, if you can call an entire family across the ocean, you can call us to our coworkers. You can call us to our neighbors, our family, our friends. Lord, we want to be engaged. We want to be engaged in ministry. God, if we've disqualified ourselves, help us to see. Give us another chance like Paul gave Mark. Give us another chance. You're the God of second, 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 second chances. Lord, call us, use us. Minister to us, and to others through us. Lord, we want this to happen. So Lord, right now I pray that you will establish in all of our hearts the reality of the call. That you've stirred us. You've you've commanded us to preach the gospel. You've commanded us to uh, tell others about you. So help us just to start right there. We're just going to tell people about you. And I pray for people. We're going to minister to people. Maybe invite people to the house, get some coffee, do something. Lord, stir us. What do you want us to do? We know you've called us. So what are the specifics? God, put that in everybody's heart right now. Just begin to drop it into their spirit, drop it into their heart that six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, this will be part of the story, is during a service, God put it in my heart to do this. God, you do this in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you for being amazing and for using us. God, we know you're going to equip us. I know we, we have to pray the least for that. I know that. You're going to equip us. You're going to empower us. Lord, our desire is just to get close to you so that your Holy Spirit moves through our minds and our hearts and powers us every day. And we are who we would we become who you tell us to be. In the name of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So, so here's a couple of things. I think there's some importance in what I'm about to say. So, so process this. Um, when, as God is moving in your spirit of what he is doing with you, talk to somebody else about it. Tell somebody else. Because two things, verbalizing it puts it in your head better, more succinctly. And then also there's some accountability. That person will ask you about that, hopefully. Tell somebody. Tell somebody what God's doing. Even if you don't know yet, just, hey, God's doing something. I think I'm supposed to do something. <laughs> I mean, start there, and now God can do it. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So get get to know Aaron a little bit, asking questions, pick his brain, whatever, and grab one of his prayer cards. This is very important. Okay, grab one of his prayer cards. We will see you guys Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your week.